Welcome to the Lady Beta Podcast. We're going to be talking about all things business growth, brain rewiring, and climbing from a holistic point of view. You can learn more about me and follow me over on Instagram at ladybeta.coaching and on my website, ladybetacoaching.com. You'll also find freebies for building your business, brain rewiring, and training for climbing. I am so excited to have you here. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome to the podcast today. I'm coming to you again from Spokane. It is over 100 and some degrees here, which for this area of the world is a little bit strange. So it's been interesting to spend some time with some very warm weather. So waking up super, super early to go climbing. I think I have a 5 a.m. alarm set for tomorrow morning. So, you know, just trying to prioritize it and get it in where I can. Hopefully your weather isn't quite as hot as here. I'm really excited to jump into today's interview with Jason. Jason and I have known each other, I think, for about five years now, and it's been so cool to be able to be his business coach after meeting him at a route setting event down in Austin, Texas, and kind of staying in touch over the years. I think you guys are really going to love this interview. I thought that Jason was going to be the absolute perfect pick for the first male guest to have on this show. I'm really honored to have him on. I think you guys are going to learn a ton. We talk all about how to optimize your time, especially if you are a weekend warrior, if you're a sport climber looking to send hard and not take a ton of time doing it because maybe you have limited time in your week. Maybe you have to drive pretty far to the crag. We talk a lot about things that people maybe don't typically think of when they're training, when they're trying to recover, when they're actually trying to get better at climbing. Before we go ahead and get into the interview, I want to give you some updates from me. So if you struggle with overcoming the fear of falling when you're sport climbing, this is going to be for you. So I have my Overcoming the Fear of Falling Masterclass on sale right now. So if you're listening to this on the day that it comes out, July 1st, 2021, holy moly, how is it already July? I feel like this year just absolutely flew by. My Fear of Falling Masterclass is on sale just for one more day today, Thursday, and also Friday before it goes back up to full price. This masterclass, I had so much fun recording it. It's one hour long. You can pause it, do the journal prompts, while you're watching the masterclass, which I absolutely highly recommend. You're going to get the most out of this course if you do it that way. When you really just sit down, you're in the energy of it, and you implement all of the tools that I give you. There are six different journal prompts, and you also get my three-step actionable process to use at the gym or crag to actually start overcoming and working on your fear of falling. And I explain to you what turtling is. We get into things that you can start to practice on the ground before taking falls on a rope. If you've ever heard somebody say, oh, you just need to take more falls and felt lost, again, this is for you. It's a lot, I think, more difficult to just practice taking falls when there may be some unresolved things from your past, things like your childhood, maybe you have trauma, and then what to just go take a fall and just, you know, trust your partner and expect that that will just happen for you. I think there's a better way to do it. I think there's an easier way to approach things like this when we really look at things from a holistic point of view. So I'll leave everything about the Overcoming Fear of Falling Masterclass in the show notes. You can snag that while it's on sale. You get 
lifetime access to it. It's a self-paced course, so you can do it at any point in time. If you buy it now, you can use it three months from now, although I think you're going to want to dive right into it. It's so good. It has changed not only my life, but my clients' lives as well. Overcoming the fear of falling has opened up so much for me in terms of what I'm able to get on on the crag. It really helps me actually break into the flow state and try super hard because I'm no longer concerned about falling. So again, link is in the show notes if you want to learn more about that. This has been one of my absolute favorite things that I've created. I can't wait to hear what you think about it. I know you guys are going to love this interview, so let's go ahead and hop on into this interview with Jason. Hello and welcome back to the show. I am super excited because today we have our first ever male guest. This is Jason and I have known Jason I think for five or six years now. We actually met when I was the head setter down at Crux in Austin, Texas and Jason came down for a setter showdown. So that is how we met originally and we've kind of stayed in touch over the years and I am currently Jason's business coach which has been really fun and helping him grow his business, seeing all that he's done. And he is seriously one of the biggest implementers that I've ever met. So it's really fun to have him on the show. We're going to be talking about all things optimization, recovery, performance, all of the good stuff. So Jason, go ahead and introduce yourself to my audience. Hello, everyone. My name is Jason Williams. I currently live in Nashville, Tennessee. I've been climbing for about 18 years now. In the last eight of those years, I've been really obsessed with the training and performance side of climbing. And I've just kind of done a deep dive into that world and learned everything I could to um, optimize my own training and performance and get better at climbing because that's fun and that's what we love to do. And then in the past year, I just realized that the wealth of knowledge that I had absorbed made me potentially a very valuable resource for anyone out there that wanted to work on their own climbing and progress. So I'm here to help streamline that process for anyone that wants to work with me. And it's been really fun getting to help uh, help athletes get better at the thing that we love to do. Love it. Okay. So tell me a little bit more about the transition between, okay, realizing that, yep, you have a, like a good, we'll call it quote, stable job to wanting to become a climbing coach. I think a lot of people are interested in that and kind of how that journey was for you and how it is still. Um, well, the meat and potatoes of it is that I was doing something that I was good at, but not in love with. Uh, I had kind of decided that safe was the best bet for career and that my job could be my job, my hobbies could be my hobbies, because in the past I'd pursued music for over a decade. And I just found enough things in that industry that made me not love music and was scared for my relationship to sour that I decided to not make that my career. I also, as Chelsea said, I was a route setter for a little while. That's where we met um, during my time as a route setter, because I was like, okay, climbing is my other passion. How can I get paid to do that. Route setting was fun and an expression of my creativity. But there again, it started to kind of just for me, take the joy out of it. And so I went back to doing construction, working with my dad, who's a general contractor. I'm good at that. I've done it all my life. It's safe. It's steady. I could climb and play music for fun all I wanted to, but I'm just the type of person that has always had big dreams and desires to do more than just easy. So even though I've been on cruise control for a little while, honestly, I, you know, I'd been training myself and then my wife had me program her some training and that was really exciting. And right about that time was when I was starting to acknowledge that I had a lot of experience and knowledge without really having meant to pursue the career. And then I heard Chelsea's podcast and it blew my mind. And I was like, oh my God, she's speaking to my soul right now. She's firing me up. 
this makes me want to do more than what I'm doing. And the thing that I've been called to lately is coaching climbing because uh, it's just the thing that I'm most excited about, most excited about. And even without getting paid, I would just sit and nerd out on all this stuff all day. Anyway, I listen to all the podcasts, read the books, watch the videos, comp climbing, outdoor climbing, trad bouldering, sport, alpine. I love every bit of this world and I just love being immersed in it. So yes, to this place where I feel like I'm a valuable resource to people and I want to put myself out there and be in a position to help anyone that wants it. Okay. So there's a message in there for everybody listening. That's not quite satisfied at their day job. I think there's just, you know, I would never call being an entrepreneur or working for yourself easy. This is definitely the difficult road, the hard road. Um, Jason's definitely learning that, but he's done awesome so far. So let's talk a little bit about, you talk a ton about this concept of the weekend wars, the weekend warrior. So for me, you know, I've been blessed. We're going to call it that to have rock climbing very close to me, wherever I've lived in the last, you know, let's say decade that I've been climbing and I don't have to travel that far to go climbing, but tell me a little bit more about this concept of the weekend warrior and how they can actually start to, in your words, optimize their performance. Yeah. So I think weekend warrior just comes from the typical, you know, nine to five career person who's not a professional climber and the weekend warriors because the weekend is our, is most people's free time. So if you get to go out and pursue your passion on the weekend, you're a weekend warrior. I feel like the definition is obviously broader than that. I would just consider it anyone, anyone not a professional climber or like a van life or full time on the road. Even the people that live with climbing in their backyard can't necessarily get to it every day. So I would consider a weekend warrior just anyone who's passionate about climbing but has somewhat of a constraint on the time that they're able to devote to pursuing the climbing. Mm -hmm. So for somebody that, you know, doesn't have a lot of time, you know, maybe they're spending quite a bit of time driving to the crag. So when I lived in Chicago, I know a lot of people used to drive to the red and that is a significant haul. What are some of your tips for people that are making that journey and really trying to like make the most of like, let's say those two days, the Saturday and Sunday that they get to climb Sunday might even be a shorter session because they have to drive back that day. Um, well, definitely listen to the lady beta podcast on your drive. So you get super psyched. That's tip number one. <laughs> Um, you, you've got limited time, like we were talking about, and especially if you're commuting six, seven, eight hours to the nearest crag, um, even setting yourself up before the weekend gets there by being well-trained, but well, um, well-fed, well-fueled, like mm-hmm. good nutrition and plenty of rest so that when you get to the climbing, you are high energy and ready to go. And then while you're at the crag, if sending is important to you, then wasting time is counterproductive. So you want to spend as much time as you can actually climbing on your route, climbing on your project and sending. So the better, the more efficient and optimal that you can get at that process, the more time you're going to get to spend sending and not messing around. I just see people doing things like warming up inefficiently, um, chit-chatting too long, um, doing tactics on the project that aren't really necessary and aren't really productive and end up wasting time, energy, and skin. That's one thing that I feel like a lot of people overlook is just that all those things are resources that we as climbers have, but they're limited and you can't really create them skin. You can't create instantly. You've got limited amount that day. So use it well. And I see a lot of people not using it well. And so I feel like I also didn't know a lot of things until someone told me or showed me. Um, And now that I've got that 
body of knowledge and experience, I feel like there's definitely a lot of people I see out at the crag every time I go that could benefit from some of these tips and tricks to save time. Absolutely. As I'm standing here staring at the two holes in my fingers right now from climbing on my project probably too much. I love this concept of efficiency because it really does come down to that. And you and I were talking before we started recording all about like you don't have to try things from the bottom every single time. Like it's just so important that people kind of start to realize like, yes, okay, the rock climbs there, maybe the crux is, you know, quite a ways up. Maybe it's at the sixth bolt or whatever it is, but that doesn't necessarily mean you need to come down every single time and try it from there. So talk to me a little bit about the tactics that you teach your clients so that they can start to become more efficient and actually make it through the crux with more skin, more energy, all the things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that was part of the reason why I created the um, Winning the Weekend Wars Masterclass that I just ran the other day. And I will also be releasing Winning the Weekend Wars as a standalone four-week program where I will be coaching people through this process. Um how to train, how to eat, and how to perform efficiently during like the time of year when you're going to go out and try hard. And yes, absolutely. Going, going ground up used to be the way everybody did things. It was kind of like the rule of climbing, but we're far beyond that. And everyone knows now that to push your own physical limits, there are tactics, hangdogging, I mean, trying moves in isolation, um, low pointing and high pointing. You don't have to go ground up. And I see a lot of people doing that. And unless that's just the game that you want to be playing, there are no rules, you know, there, there's no cheating and climbing. There's only lying. You want to do something a certain way. That's fine. But if you want to do it the most efficient and optimal way, do the things that make you use less energy going from the ground up takes a lot of energy. So if you get to the sixth bolt and that's where the crux is and you fall, pull back on rest for, or pull back in, go in direct, which is clipping into the wall so that your layer gets a break and can kind of reset. You can sit there and rest, shake out brush holds, and then try the move in isolation. That way, next time that you do come from the ground, you at least know how to do the move. And you might, you're obviously going to be more fatigued because the move in isolation is easier than when you're actually already pumped or out of breath or tired, but it still gives you the muscle memory of doing the move and the, and the confidence to know, I know I can do this move now. This move is possible. And having even just that positive mindset can do a world of good. And you can use that tactic on the entire route. Mm-hmm. You know? So ground up. It's just not the best way. You're going to spend a lot more time, energy, and skin if you go ground up every time. Right. And that confidence really is key. Like just knowing that you can do it a lot of the times unlocks, I think, a lot of the potential there. So besides, you know, going from the ground up, what other tips do you have for people to become more efficient with their sessions? So yes, we can, you know, reduce the amount of time that we chit chat with other people. But I, I know some people are going to argue like, hey, that's the whole reason that I go to the crag in the first place. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm super extroverted. I, I have to create that space for my gym sessions because I'm not the type of person who can go to the gym and put in headphones. I just coach that because some, so many people set this limitation, have this mental block that they don't have enough time when truly you could create a little more space and a little more time if you just did an audit. And if the thing that's costing you time that you could use elsewhere is talking, chit-chatting, maybe quote unquote too much, still chit chat and be friendly, but maybe just cut it back five minutes. Just like pay a little more attention to the clock and recognize that you have a limited amount of daylight. You're here for a reason. Socializing is part of that, but don't let that be the thing that stops you from giving something that you're passionate about uh, your full attention for an appropriate amount of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the time audit thing I think is really important. So, what do you find that people generally spend the most time doing that they could potentially cut down on and create a little bit more time for, let's say, something like training? 
Uh, well, definitely in terms of like throughout the week, I mean, everyone's got jobs. Um, a lot of people have families, same things that take our attention away, but we're living in a world where we're walking around with like, you know, the world's most powerful computer in the palm of our hand. We can distract ourselves for 24 hours straight if we want to. And lots of us do. If you go into the settings on your little smartphone and ask it how much time you've been staring at it, it will tell you. And that's one of the easiest ways to audit. Sometimes you think you don't have enough time and you can totally steal an hour back from scrolling on social media or watching YouTube videos or watching Netflix. So I love doing all those things. And for me, it's just a matter of balancing. It's not complete restriction. It's just everything in moderation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So let's talk to the person that maybe doesn't have a lot of time during the week to train because they, you know, they have the nine to five job, they have a family, you know, whatever it is, they have social obligations that they want now that things are opening back up, which is really exciting. So what would you say to that person who maybe thinks that training, like I need, you know, 10 hours a week to dedicate when in reality, us as coaches, we know that that's not necessarily true. Yeah, I think, um, I think a good number to look at is more about half of that. Mm-hmm. Five to six hours is what my programming adds up to. And certainly you can do a little more, but I mean, we're learning things now that are allowing us to get strength improvements with very little time. I know you coach with isometric training and that's something that I'm looking into more, but even, even without the simple training blocks that like 15 minutes of effort in a particular focused way can really elicit good responses, even even the pseudo older school ways that I'm still programming. I mean, a one hour session of hangboarding, lifting and stretching or um, an hour and a half session of endurance or a limit bouldering session, which might take an hour and a half. I mean, that all adds up to four hours a week. And if you can find, you know, one to two hours a day, three days a week, you're going to get stronger. And even if you do less, doing something is better than doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can get really efficient too with your workouts. I think for me, I just timed mine yesterday. I trained and it was like an hour and 15 minutes and I was worked at the end and all I used was a hangboard, and it was like done. We're done after that. And I know that's something that got me stronger. And I think it really comes back to it's yeah. A lot of it is the socialization at the gym and, or not having a plan in the first place. So just going to the gym and being like, I'm just going to climb for fun. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I, I program blocks of that for myself where that is the point. I actually took a long break from climbing specific training because I had a period of time where I was busy and wasn't getting outside as much. And my four fun climbing was only happening in the gym. Mm-hmm. So I let that happen and it was good for me. I still got better. I was still climbing. And so you're improving on the skill and keeping your fitness. Um, I also have to sympathize with the people who have like a long commute to the gym and for them, it it gets to where you have to be a little more creative. And I love that we're figuring out ways, and especially last year, I mean, everyone had to get really creative and figure out how to get fit or stay fit at home with very limited resources in terms of equipment. So, I mean, the, the, it's, it's amazing what you can do with a hangboard or even like hanging off of your door frame if it's sturdy enough for finger strength. And then a walk around the block and some bodyweight calisthenics. You can keep your fitness high with very limited resources and not spending very much time. If you have to commute an hour to a gym and you choose not to, maybe it would be better for you to spend a little bit of money building a small home wall just so that you can train the movement and keep the skill high without having to drive that far to the gym every day. Right. I mean, there's, always, there's always options. And this kind of ties into like 
what I've told you a bunch of times, anything is possible. Everything has a cost. I mean, you're either going to be spending time, money, energy, or a combination of those three. So choose well and be efficient and effective with how you spend those things. But um, there's always an option for anybody who's dedicated enough and psyched enough to want to get better. You might just have to be a little more creative depending on your circumstances. Right. I was getting this visual of people driving and like holding the, you know, the tension block in one hand while they're driving. We don't recommend that just so everybody knows, but I was like getting that funny visual, but I really do want to dive a little bit further into this. Everything has a cost because this, for me, I I talk a lot about mindset. I've done, you know, an entire podcast episode on money mindset. And I think the biggest takeaway that people generally talk to me about is like, holy moly, like I didn't even think that I could think about money in any different way. So can you expand on that a little bit further that everything has a cost. Oh, for sure. I mean, like just what I've said, just what I said, I mean, time, money, and energy are the things that we kind of have to spend. Those are our resources. So when it comes to like, for instance, hiring a coach, most of the information about fitness, nutrition, and climbing specific stuff um, is floating around on the internet or in books that you can buy. Almost everything that I coach, the information you can get somewhere if you choose to spend the time and energy that it takes to sort that all out and figure out what works best for you. The real value I find in hiring a coach, and it's the value that I got in hiring you, Chelsea, as a business coach, is to streamline that process. Everything that you taught me about starting a business, I could have figured out on my own, but it would have taken months, years even. I don't even know how long, and it might have gotten so difficult and confusing and frustrating that there's a chance I would have given up and said, this is too difficult. I'm lost. I don't know where to go from here. But when you have the guidance, you're, you're making a financial investment to save yourself time, energy, and stress in that instance. And I have, I have found an immense value in every coach that I've ever hired to help me get through a situation that would have taken me that I maybe could have gotten through on my own, but would have taken me much longer and much more time and energy. So you can do all this stuff yourself. You can do anything yourself, but often there, you just have to decide what's more valuable to you, the the dollar in your bank account or the time, the hour that you have free in the day. Is that hour going to be spent figuring out your training or is that hour better spent someone telling you what to do exactly? And you get to just go and hammer it out and not even have to think about it. Oh, it's so good. I love that. I, I did enjoy my own journey of learning all of this stuff. And I that's kind of goes with certain personality traits. But even though I loved figuring it out, there were periods of that learning where I hired a coach to train me so that I didn't have to think about it. I was just like, hey, guy, tell me what I need to do right now to get better. I've been doing this for myself. And I just want to take a break from I want to turn the lights off, take a break from thinking about it, let you tell me what to do and just run the program. And it was always great. And then I also learned from that experience with the coach and I could carry on that knowledge to training myself beyond or into the next phase where maybe I wanted to hire a different coach. Mm -hmm. Love it. Yeah. And honestly, that's such a good explanation too. You know, I talk about it a lot, but I really think it's important to hear other people's perspectives on it. And for me, the way that I make decisions is time is really our only non-renewable resource. So for me, if I can pay somebody to do something for me, absolutely. I'm going to do it hands down. um, I love paying people to, you know, have services for me to be my coach in many different aspects. And for me, it just feels really expansive for me as well. It's kind of like this fun, indulgent thing. And you're like, yeah, I get to go to the gym and like, here's my plan. It's written out for me. I literally do no more thinking and you just go into execution mode. Yeah. Um, I won't, I won't throw the person under the bus, but there was someone that I've um, climbed with regularly and um, would go to the gym and I would have a plan. 
And this person would be like, I'd be like, what are you going to do today? I don't know. And, you know, this, that, the other. And that's fine. They were having fun. But um, that person did eventually see that structure had benefit and asked for some help with some very specific programming. And it made me very happy when that happened. So, you know, to each their own, but there is certainly value in knowing what you're doing when you come in, because you will spend time just pondering what to do next if you don't have a plan. Yep. Yep. And I, I mean, I've even gotten to the point where I, I do that with um, like routes or a group of routes. If I'm planning like a high volume day, I know I'm going to go to this crag and try to climb these routes and obviously have a plan B because sometimes it's crowded or weather, you know, life things, circumstances happen, but it saves me the time of going out and wandering around and going, no, that looks nice. Guidebook, guidebook. Oh, that looks cool. Guidebook, guidebook. You'll spend half the day just picking a route if you don't sort of already have it decided what you're going there to do that day. Right. So let's talk a little bit. I've done that. Been there, done that, not fun. Um, yeah, I do that all the time. Um, I already have all my routes picked out for this weekend. We're going to like a new place and I'm like, yep, getting on that thing. Um, I already have all my routes picked out for 10 sleep. And you know what? Maybe, maybe they're not gonna pan out. Maybe they won't be like the amazing things that I think they are, or maybe they're gonna be even better than I thought they were. But at least, you know, going in with a plan, I think is super important. But let's talk a little bit about performance phases. So I think that this is something that a lot of people, including myself, super guilty of this, tend to forget that like we weren't designed to perform all the time and all seasons. So this is why you created, you know, in the future, you're going to have the four week standalone program for getting people into that performance phase. Talk to me a little bit about that. Well, that's, it's going to be different for everyone everywhere, but, but I like to schedule my performance phase when the weather's the best. So wherever you're climbing, if you go out and try hard when it's just too hot to hold on to small holds, you're going to have a bad time. Obviously everybody knows this. So, you know, excuses of condition dependent, whatever aside, it's just true that there, there are peak seasons and in Tennessee and the Southeast in general, fall and spring fall in particular, because spring tends to be a little bit more rainy and humid, but fall is one of the definitely best weather seasons. And so I've got uh, one particular group for sport climbing, a group training for sport climbers that's to get ready for the fall. About mid-October, it'll start to cool down. That usually runs through mid-November. Sometimes we get lucky and have a long fall all the way into December. Um, Sometimes it's a little shorter, a little bit rainy, but ideally you want to be in peak fitness when that weather window comes that you're going to have no excuses. And once the performance phase get there, uh, gets there, you also need to behave a little bit differently and prioritize performance. I, th- I know a lot of people that like can't let go of the training, right? Like it's time to be rested and try hard, but you still want to go into the gym and, and like try your hardest there so that you don't lose the fitness that you've worked hard to gain. And I understand how it feels like taking time off of training, you're going to lose your fitness, but it doesn't go away as quickly as everyone thinks. And particularly if one to two days or more a week you're going outside and trying hard on your project, you're going to stay pretty fit. Mm-hmm. So yeah. targeting, targeting those phases throughout the year is the most optimal way you can climb year round. Absolutely. You can always chase shade, chase sun, whatever the conditions are, go travel, do different things in different times of the year. But, um, you know, ideally to perform at your highest level, you'll pick the thing that you're most psyched on, pick the season that it's best to do that wherever you are, and then schedule your training around it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just kind of like this perpetual 
like, it's almost like hustle culture. Like you just like want to feel productive. And then we kind of forget that, like, we really are supposed to be more cyclical with our approach to pretty much everything. It's that ebb and flow of like, just, yeah, you're not going to perform your quote best all the time, but it kind of makes it that much better when you do go send the mega project. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, like what, what you're talking about is true with just like, Physically and mentally, if we lived in a a wonderland of climbing where you could climb year round, like California, where I am right now, uh, you still need rest. You need to take breaks and you need to force yourself to have cyclical performance training and recovery phases or your body is just going to fry. Even if you're the type of person who never loses their psych, your central nervous system is going to get tired and fatigued and you're not going to be able to push or pull and climbing as hard. And, um, I mean, most people do exhaust themselves mentally and and then the burnout happens. Um, I think honestly, that's why so many people out here are multi-sport athletes. And I think that's awesome. And that's an awesome way to balance things out. If you can like ski half the year and climb half the year or whatever that may be where you are. Um, and I've, you know, I've been guilty in the past of climbing year round and not, not that that's something to be guilty of, but being frustrated when I couldn't perform year round going out in the summer and getting on something that was difficult for me and falling all over it because I'm sweating profusely. And like what, that's just a mindset issue. You know, that's my own fault for expecting to be able to perform under the worst possible conditions. And, you know, the older and hopefully wiser that I've gotten, the more I've been able to sort of program my year around that. And now, you know, I sport climb in the fall, I boulder, um, a little bit during the winter, I'll sport climb again in the spring. And then during the summer, uh, in a perfect year, I get to come out West and get on some big Alpine stuff in the mountains where it's a little bit cooler during the summer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And speaking of multi-sport athletes, I know you have a background with weightlifting. So talk to me a little bit about that because I know a lot of climbers might be hesitant to pick up some, we'll say heavier things, you know, thinking it might make them bulky or it's counterproductive to climbing, but I know you've found that to be quite different. Oh, absolutely. The first probably decade of climbing, I was the type of climber who just went climbing and got better by climbing as much as I could. But Um, At a certain point, I got invited on a trip with a friend, recognized that my fitness wasn't at the peak or at the same level as his was, and I was not going to have a good time or be able to keep up. I did a a cycle of training that included some weightlifting, and that was the first time that I realized, oh my goodness, training is amazing and effective. Who would have thought? It was like obvious, but at the same time, a revelation to my stubborn, I only want to climb mentality. Cause I was that person. I was like, I don't want to do core. I don't want to run. I don't want to lift weights. All of that seems like not fun. Climbing is fun. That's why I do it. I don't want to take the fun out of it. That was the opportunity that I got to see that training is fun because improving is fun. And honestly, I've gotten really attached to just the movements, but circling back around to, at that point, I recognized that I had obvious strength imbalances because I was only doing one thing one way. And to balance out my body and be a well-rounded athlete, I needed to train like an athlete. Um, Every other sport involves multifaceted training. Climbing should be no exception. And you honestly have to try really hard to get big. The people, the athletes, the weightlifters and bodybuilders who put on a lot of mass have to eat (laughs) so much. I know some people are easy gainers and some people are hard gainers, but I just think that it's harder than people think to gain weight. And if you gain functional weight, 
that, that carries with it the strength of, you know, building muscle in targeted ways that do benefit climbing, it's not going to, it's not going to hinder your performance in, in all likelihood. It's going to enhance it. And as just a little version of that for myself in the last year, I did get even more excited about lifting, partly because of the circumstances of 2020 and everything that was happening. I just had easy access to uh, weights and less easy access to consistent climbing. So I let my focus be on weightlifting for a little while. I gained about 10 pounds and I am still climbing a letter grade harder on sport and a number grade harder on bouldering. And I was still climbing, but I was not training anything specific climbing. I was focusing on getting stronger in ways that I had never been strong before. And I just like the way that I feel when I'm stronger and when I'm a stronger, more powerful athlete and weightlifting definitely supports that. So don't be scared to be strong. Stronger is always better. And if you want to train in a way to get stronger without getting bigger, that's also um, very easy to do. You just target it a certain way. Right. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. You don't have to be doing, you know, a hundred reps of an exercise to failure. Like there's different ways that coaches can program to elicit, you know, certain responses that people want. And I'm really glad that we talked about that too, because yeah, I talked to a lot of people that like, you know, maybe they don't know how to lift or they've heard different things about it. And honestly, like for me, I also feel a lot better when I'm consistently lifting in addition to my climbing training. And one thing that I want to point out too, and you talked a little bit about conditions and trying to like, hold on to, you know, tiny holds in the, in the hot weather and it's just, it's not a good time. There are definitely quite a few times where I choose to train over going outside just based on what the conditions are. And for me, like I've learned to love it because really seeing those improvements, like that's pretty addicting in and of itself. Yeah. I, um, I structure things that way, or even if it's the case that I just know that like for my, for my mental health as it were, I need to get outside because I haven't in a while. I can still go out and approach it uh, a productive way. Like I'm going to go out and have fun and try things that are reasonable for the conditions right now. I'm going to go climb on things that are enjoyable or just like not even be attached to sending anything on a given day. I might even go out on a hot day and revisit my project, but just to touch the holds, just like literally aid up it by stick clipping through, pulling a few moves, touching a few holds, making sure that my body is still familiar with like, the you know the movement and and keep the muscle memory there but i'm not going to go out and try to send so you know being outside is often rewarding in and of itself and the good company being with your climbing partner or a group of people we need that and i don't often do well if i go more than a couple of weeks without having like a fun session like that but it's still just about like the mindset except the fact that there are seasons for each particular aspect of performance and if conditions are bad go to where the conditions are controlled, AKA the gym, train and try hard in the gym and then go outside just to play. And I mean, that's all we're really doing with climbing anyway. I know a lot of us get like real serious and real aggro about this. And, you know, there's a time and a place and that's even fun, but this, this is just a game that we're all in love with and we're all playing and getting better at it is fun. And a certain amount of like seriousness and structure helps with that improvement, but take it too serious and it's just going to kill it. So remember, we're playing. Go play. 
Oh, I love it. Go play your permission to go play. And yeah, it doesn't always have to be like a send go or everything. You can kind of just like stay in the rhythm and stay in the energy of it. And so for me, one of the things that really caught my eye about you the most was you take a holistic approach to climbing coaching. And I don't see many male coaches doing that. I think that's very unique. I think it's very needed and I think it's very necessary. So talk to me a little bit more about some of the things that you talk with your clients. I know you touch on nutrition. Recovery is a big one. There's so much more than just the training aspect. Absolutely. And I'm almost reluctant to frame it this way because I don't want our younger athletes to think that they're immune to this. But I will confess that as young 20-something, newish climber Jason, I had older climbing partners that would start every session with like some kind of a healthy warm-up and would end with like a good cool down stretch and do these holistic things. And I felt invincible because I was a young, healthy bodied individual. And I was like, nah, whatever, let's just climb. And my buddy was older was like, you just wait, you just wait. You're going to hurt so bad if you don't start taking care of yourself now. He was right. I'm lucky enough that I didn't get injured, but I did start to notice that if I didn't do extracurricular holistic things for my body, that I did not feel my best. And if I don't feel my best, I can't perform my best. And it is really upsetting and aggravating to go out and feel just a nagging pain at any part of my body, then for us, elbows, shoulders, fingers, whatever, and know that I could have prevented that with just some good habits. You know, injuries aren't completely preventable. We are not bulletproof. But the more that I found just taking five and 10 minutes here and there to do certain things kept me feeling good and performing my best, the more that I realized that it was not only beneficial, but crucial and something that I was going to get to do for the rest of my life. And so since then I've done just searched every corner of the fitness world and all other sports and see things that different athletes do to keep themselves performing their best. And some climbers I see doing some things and some programming, I see hints of it, but I'm not really sure why there's less emphasis than I think there could be on it. And so I'm just trying to infuse all that more of that into the programming for my athletes to keep them you know healthy happy optimized humans because when you're like a healthy healthy happy optimized human you're going to be all those things as a climber as well so Mm -hmm. yep training is sexy that's what I always say like it was I I felt like for the longest time it was so hard to get people to focus on mindset because it's like oh training games you can see all you know like the visible progress and the numbers and the metrics and it's like actually it's the mindset that like for me really hit home the most so you touched on some things like warming up cooling down what are some other just quick things that people can do that can keep them feeling you know at their best well, you mentioned mindset, so I'll talk real quick about just mindset and the wellness is like the foundation that we get to build all the training on top of. Like those are two things that if you add underneath the base of all the training that you're doing, you give yourself a sturdier foundation that's less likely to collapse. And the mindset doesn't even really take any physical energy. You just have to do the things, um, think about the things, focus on things, frame things in a certain way. And the recovery is stuff that you do in and around the training. Because the training is, that's what breaks our bodies down. And we don't get stronger until we give our bodies time to rest and recover. So, I mean, those are two of the things. Rest. Like, so many people go hard in the paint five, six, seven days a week. And then are surprised when they get injured. Or surprised when they perform below their peak. Or when they just feel bad. Mm -hmm. If you're not fueling your body well, good nutrition is one of the things. If you're not getting eight hours of sleep a night, 
and taking rest days and they can be active, light, active rest days, going for walks, doing, you don't have to be sedentary sitting on the couch rest day. And we'll go into that more talking about that, but, um, and then just anything that you can do to make your body feel better, cold showers, um, or cold water immersion. I know ice baths are getting popular. If you have access to a sauna, oh man, use the sauna, use the sauna and ice bath back and forth. The hot, cold, um, contrast therapy is amazing for anti-inflammatory response, activating your parasympathetic nervous system, which is what triggers your body to like start digestion, start recovering, lower um, stress hormones. Um, so there's just all these little hacks that we can do, little little habits that don't even necessarily take that much extra time in our day. But if we just kind of get them into the rhythm of our day, for me, like the cold shower, I just now finished every shower with like blast it super cold for the last couple of minutes I'm in there, takes no extra time and makes me feel super good. Um, stretching at the end of a workout and warming up properly, maybe do take like five to 10 extra minutes on either side of the workout, but they buy you back so much more time than that time spent because the time it's going to cost you when you feel like crap, because you didn't do those things is definitely in excess of stealing five or 10 minutes away from how long you can perform stealing five or 10 minutes of the next day that you go out to climb or the next day that you go to train because you're still too sore from the last time. Um, and I definitely, this is, you know, you can find all the scientific research and I'm the anecdotal study of one right now, but the best version of this that I can, or the best example of this that I've had is doing like a hard leg day training and then, okay, yada, yada, I'm in a hurry. I don't have time to stretch. I'm just going to call it a day and get the heck out of here and go on with my day. And then I'm walking funny for two days or three if I spend 10 minutes after that workout, just stretching my legs statically and doing a little bit of foam rolling right after, immediately after the workout, sometimes I don't get sore at all. It's remarkable the difference that that 10 minutes will make in how good I feel the next few days and how I'm able to train and perform the next few days because I'm not sore. Yep. Sometimes you need a little bit of accountability with that too. I would argue like we know we should do these things. So tell me a little bit more about what constitutes as a rest day. Cause I think a lot of people in the audience are those people that are like, well, work out seven times a week and yeah, I'm just like not improving. It's super weird. In a way I'm almost that person, but I've learned to balance the activities enough so that you can have a rest day from one thing while you're working on another thing. And that is also to an extent, everything in moderation. So a rest day for me from climbing sometimes involves um, some weight training. It's light. It's not super aggro, go push and pull the heaviest weights that I possibly can, but I can do um, some synergist or antagonist. I don't know what we're allowed to call this anymore movements, but you know, we pull a lot with climbing. So let's go, let's go push some stuff and sort of have strength in all directions. Um, I like to go on walks or hikes on rest days. I know that some people are into running. I have kind of run on and off. I feel like if you're used to a stimulus, an easy version of that stimulus can be done on an active rest day. But if something is new or difficult for you, that probably doesn't constitute a good rest day. So, um, and climbing can be a rest day activity. I know some people that have a try hard day and then a very low intensity, like an arcing day where you just go out and do uh, laps on super easy routes that you can continue to have a conversation. You never get out of breath. You never pull hard. 
you know, that's going to tax your skin a little bit. It has a cost, but you can climb on rest days. Rest days is just lower intensity activity. And there's lots of ways that you can keep your activity low intensity, but still move your body and feel good. And I definitely like my rest days to have a lot of recovery, like a little extra time uh, stretching. And for some people that's yoga specifically for me, it's kind of like a lot of time on the foam roller or with the, you know, my lacrosse ball, digging into any tight spots that I've got, just kind of doing all the, the, mo- the mobility and um, like myofascial release, just busting up all the sore spots and, and, and trigger points that I might have that are flared up at any given moment. So taking care of your body, essentially, in any way you can on a rest day. Good. Perfect. I think that'll help people too, is like, yes, you do have permission to do some things on your rest day, but like, be honest with yourself. Like, yeah, if it's a new activity or if you're really trying to like, just go ham every day of the week, like you're probably not going to get the results that you're looking for. So before we wrap up, I want to hear a little bit more about your new and upcoming group program, which I'm really excited about. So tell me a little bit more about that. All right. So we've got the way of the weekend warrior, and this is going to be a group program I would really love to get 20 warriors together in a group and we're going to run the same program for 12 weeks leading into fall. So for me, like I said, in in Southeast fall is middle October. So this program is going to run from July 12th through October 11th and everyone will get their own customized version of a 12 week training plan. And we're all going to follow the same rough loose schedule, but it will be customized to your abilities um, your availability of time and your availability of equipment to use for the training. And it's just going to get you in really good sport climbing shape to send your projects during the fall. And like we've talked about today, it's going to include a lot of lessons modules throughout the 12 weeks that are hopefully going to be the building blocks to your knowledge base that you can use for a lifetime, learning how to fuel yourself, nutrition, learning good recovery practices, learning just good holistic habits to incorporate in your day-to-day life to make you a better person, which will make you a better climber. And then the ins and outs and the hows and whys of all the training um, you know, protocols that we're going to be running throughout the program and a whole lot more. And then the bonus of all of that is that you're going to get a group, a community of people doing it together with you. And we're going to have a private Facebook group it's basically going to be like our, our hangout space. So you'll be able to get on there and post success stories and struggles and support each other and keep everybody psyched, ask questions. I will be active in the group. And if you're more active in the group, you're going to get more value. So by participating in that group and asking questions and sharing stories and connecting with the other people in the group, you might come out of, that, uh, out of this program with 20 new friends, 20 new climbing partners, if you choose to use it that way. And I have uh, participated in some group programs like that in general fitness. And it's so much better than just training alone and running a program by yourself. I think a lot of us have at least had experience with like having one training buddy that like goes into the gym and works out with you. And maybe you all have the same goals, but imagine having like 20 people from around the country, around the world, all sharing the same space and holding that space for each other to improve. So I'm creating that space and for 12 weeks, Hopefully we're all going to just get to know each other and get better at climbing. And then at the end of the 12 weeks, I'm going to have an optional add-on winning the weekend wars so that you can take all of the gains and experience and knowledge that you had in the 12-week training program and use it effectively and optimally. 
and I will be giving a performance phase training plan so that you can train appropriately while you're performing, saving space and energy and room for prioritizing going outside and trying hard on your projects. And again, how to fuel yourself, how much time and um, how to take care of yourself and be well recovered when you go out to project. And then all the tips and tactics that were part of my masterclass so that you use your time and energy um, optimally while you're out at the crag project. So you're going to learn all the like little techniques that I figured out on how to make it like how to warm up quickly and how to uh, figure out all the beta on your project quickly so that you can get right down to the part where you're actually trying to send and make that happen uh, quicker than it would otherwise. Love it. Okay. That was a great rundown too. And I'll include links in the show notes to where you can learn more about Jason's program. I'm really excited about this. And I think it's been needed for quite some time as just a male figure creating a community space. And I, I'm just like, I'm so excited for it. Like I'm, I'm so proud of you and I'm really excited to see this program come to reality. And I'm super excited for the journey that the people are going to be on. So before we log off, is there anything else that you want to share things that you want people to know? Um, mainly I just want everybody to know that I am passionate about helping people. And this is the space where I currently feel that I have the most value and the most opportunity to connect with people and help people. So don't be a stranger. Find me on all the social media at Optimus Climb. Reach out. Let's chat. I'm, I'm really just enjoying getting to know people in addition to helping them. And if you feel like that there's something that I can help you with, I'm here for you. And then on top of that, I just want to say thank you so much to you, Chelsea, for creating this space and for being a coach for coaches. You're definitely changing the name of that game. And I couldn't have done any of this. Well, I definitely couldn't have done any of this in 12 weeks without your amazing guidance. So thank you for uh, putting yourself out there and being here for all of us. It's amazing. Oh, well, thank you. That, that makes my day. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you really loved this interview with Jason. I know that I absolutely loved hosting it. If you have not yet already, be sure to leave a rating and a review. This is going to be one of the last weeks that the big giveaway is open. This giveaway is going to include things from Lady Crush Crew, from Crag to Crux, from Fizzy Vantage, from Tara Kaya, and I'm putting personal training programs in there as well for climbing. I'm super excited about this. All you have to do to enter is leave a rating and a review on iTunes. Super simple really doesn't take that long, really helps me out as well. So far, I think I have about 57 five-star reviews, which makes me just like, I'm beaming with happiness. You guys are the best. I know there's there's a lot of you out there that haven't yet left a review, so this is a perfect time to do so. The giveaway ends on July 15th, so you still have some time to enter the giveaway, and I so, so appreciate it. I really hope you're having the best day. Wishing you all the cooler weather wishes so that you can get some climbing in. I will talk to you next episode.